It is a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Um, I take joy, and I've been here this week. I'll be here the rest. I'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, Love Revolution has been a great week for me. It's been encouraging. Yesterday morning, I was able to share my heart with Dr. Joel about, um, as, as a resident, as a lifelong native of Marion, Indiana, to see uh, what the Lord is doing in this university from where it was when I was a kid till today. Um, I actually had the opportunity to be inside of a group of people who are making this, this week possible. And it brought me to tears yesterday because uh, we, have, we have moved the needle a little bit. We have moved the needle a little bit. And so this morning, my hope for us all is that we would move the needle a little bit more. And so with that, I would like for you all to listen to the Shema. This is Israel's uh, Pledge of Allegiance. You know, in America, we have our Pledge of Allegiance. But this is the Hebrew Pledge of Allegiance from which our faith comes from. It reads like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The second passage I would like to read is Leviticus 19, verse 18. Uh, here are the Levitical laws that are for the people of Israel. God calls a people to live in a particular way for a particular purpose that would bear witness to Yahweh. Amen? And so God calls a community. And so the Levitical laws were, were, were instituted so that the people of Israel would know how to relate with one another as well as relating with those who are not a part of their community. And it reads as follows, uh, 19 verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let us go before the Lord. Father, we only ask that you would be glorified today. We only ask that we would draw closer to you and your ways, God. We only ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would draw us away from the kingdom of man and, and further and deeper into the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this people, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The scripture for today, I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read some of it. Today, if, you, if, if some of you who like passages or like titles for, for messages, I would say that this message here is uh, like a good neighbor, the Samaritan is there. Like a good neighbor, the Samaritan is there. Mama, will you throw me that water right there? I'm already a little parched. We're going to get this right right now. So, so with that, one of the things that I have discovered in our faith, in our practice, is that we are disintegrated in terms of what it means to believe and follow Jesus, we are far removed from the ancient practices of the Hebrews. Uh, today, we struggle with what it means to love our neighbor. 
Love Revolution Week is all about learning how to love our neighbor well, but some of the questions that we ask ourselves expose our problem. Some of the classes that we even take expose a bigger issue. Dr. Sarah Farmer is one of my favorite preachers and one of my favorite people. Amen. And the fact that Dr. Sarah Farmer has to preach a class on practical theology tells me that there's something disintegrated. There is something detached from what we believe from what we do. It's not lining up. And so in this story, Luke chapter 10, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor, right? What it means to be a good neighbor. And I'm going to read the first passage of this. It says, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Now do this, and you will live. We have become detached from loving God with all of who we are. It seems to me that we like the Sunday morning worship event We like to go to church on Sunday. We like worship events. But somehow, someway, these worship events do not translate into our everyday lives. We're we're, we're disintegrating. This is a part of what sin has done and fragmenting and breaking what God created to be good. And yet through Christ, we know it's been put back together. And he's calling us to live into this more and more every day. But my brothers and sisters, this can be no more. How are you disintegrated in your faith and practice? This lawyer, he would have known the law. He was an expert. He knew all 600 plus laws. He could quote them, recite them, and give it to you right now. And yet, he's doing something that many of us do. He's delaying obedience for clarification. Many of us delay our, dis, or delay our obedience because we need clarification. There's no clarification in this. Love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. What needs to be clarified? You don't hear it? You don't understand it? Well, Jesus is saying, well, let me show it to you. Let me show this to you. Now, as we go into this next part, as we read the next few passages, I want us to observe some things here. In a culture, uh, in a society where we value the power and the privileged over the oppressed and marginalized, I want you to understand and take note of which lens Jesus is reading this story through. In a culture that says, uh, we know their problems over there, but we're not connected to them over there, Jesus is showing us an issue through the eyes and through the lens of the victim. I want you to pay attention to this. It says this. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's a good teacher. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus the question, and who is my neighbor? Whoa. <laughs> what? Jesus replied, <laughs> I got something for you. 
Check this out. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Uh, Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity or compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him into an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber, of the robbers? This this intrigues me. And as I read this text, these priests would have been just coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho, about 17 miles of rough, rugged terrain, narrow, rocky, a desert, dry. It was easy for robbers to kind of hide off on the ditch. Uh, In in this passageway, the rich and poor actually had to travel the same way. So a priest is leaving the temple, heading back to Jericho. So is the Levite. The priests were the leaders. They they offered sacrifices. They they led the people of God. They maintained the temple. The Levites were those who served right underneath them and helped them with pastoral duties or priestly duties. They served. And so it's interesting to me that when we look at this passage, we see that a man uh, was, was beat down, he was robbed, he was stripped by some obviously robbers. This is a horrible situation, that some robbers did this, that robbers would, would hurt somebody and beat them down and strip them and then leave them half dead, naked. But I think it's even more horrible when the people of God, the response of the people of God leaves the same pain as the robbers. What I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that ignorance and our refusal to look at the problem causes the same pain as if you had intentionally did the problem. What I'm saying, this is right here in the text, y'all. This is in the text right here. We love the scriptures. We love the Bible. Right here in Luke 10 is here for y'all, right? A man was going down from Jerusalem, Jacob, fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, went away. A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, passed by on the other side. So uh, he was stripped, and he was passed by, left for dead by robbers and by the people of God. And yet, who comes down the road? (laughs) It was the people, it was a person from the group of people that the Levites and the priests would have been looking down on. They had a different 
ethnicity and they had a different theological understanding. They believed in Yahweh, but they experienced Yahweh in the mountains. Why the Jews knew Yahweh God in the temple. Same God. Different theological understandings. Serving the same God. In our world, one of the books that's recently really stuck to me is a book called Reformation by Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch explains the three, the three spheres in our culture, in the East, in the West, and in the South. East being Europe, North America, or West being Europe and North America, the East being Asia, and the South being Latin America and Africa. And what he talks about is this global lens that we need to learn, learn to look through. Part of the problem is in the Western world, we are so shaped by ideologies that are sinful and that are demonic and that are evil that they actually do a lot of harm in the name of good. Our, our ideologies shape and form us and then we begin to see the Christian faith through our ideologies. Uh, take for all, let's talk about the political polarization of our country right now. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. You have one group who calls themselves conservatives. You have another group that calls themselves liberals. And it seems that we can't, have, uh, um, we can't have rights for unborn babies and rights for people of color. It seems that we have to have either or. But in the kingdom of God, we have both and. We have justice. We have righteousness. But because we have sold ourselves out, to a political party or to a ideology that's very demonic and dysfunctional, we don't know what to do with ourselves. It's got us polarized. We're back to asking the questions like the, like the, like the lawyer here. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pro-life is more than just babies, but it includes babies. In our communities today, this same kind of ideology plays itself out. We have lots of churches. We have lots of Christian communities and Christian universities across this country. But when we look in our communities, you can't tell. You can't tell. Why? That's a good question. One of the reasons is we have to get past our ideologies that bound us. We're actually enslaved to a false belief about people we don't even know. Some of you are like, this guy's tripping. <laughs> I know I am. I know I am. But I'll tell you this. If we would integrate what we say we believe into our bodies and move in this direction, your mind would change too. Part of the problem here is the priest and the Levite, they're caught up on their spiritual practices. They just served whatever they served at the temple, baby. They got their spirituals in. They got their devotions in. They're good for the day. Now I'm going home. My spirituality is done. It goes back to this dualism. Really what, we're, what we have a lot in America is Christian Gnostics. Let's just talk about it. It's Christian Gnosticism. This belief about Jesus somewhere like out there, right? Let me go into my closet. Let me pray. Let me pray. Oh, I mean, 
Oh, somebody's suffering. Oh man, I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't see it. Oh, that must be their problem. That, that must be their issue. It's very divided and dualistic. The Hebrews are looking at us saying, what is wrong with these people? They understood things that's interconnected, whole, not divided and fragmented, but interconnected. Part of the problem, my brothers and sisters, is that we don't understand that we're connected to one another, that we're connected to one another who are people created in the image and likeness of God together. And God has called us together to steward this. And we've stewarded it poorly. We've stewarded what he's given us poorly. <laughs> you know, I got my devotions check. I got my prayer time in check. I got my journaling in check. I got my fasting for the week check. The same people since the inception of America are still struggling. Check. Women are the fastest growing population in prison since the 1980s. Check. Um, I like to do prison ministry to where I go in and teach people the Bible, but I don't want to understand the systems that continue to place people in these positions. Check. Let's check that too. Let's check whatever else you want to check. Let's check the fact that women receive 80% of the pay as men in this country. Check that too, church. We got to check it. It's dysfunctional. It's disintegrated. It's separated. It's Gnosticism. So then what do we do as good intellectuals? <laughs> Let's reason some more. Let's think a little bit more. Let's read another book on it. I love to read books, but let's read another book about it. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it some more. Let's not move into action. There's this dualism in intellectuals, but it also exists in charismatics. I grew up in a charismatic church that craves spirituality and these like spiritual experiences, right? But what I realized is like craving these spiritual experiences like out there somewhere doesn't translate to transformation down here. If we're talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we're talking about integration of our faith and our practice here and now. This is what it means to be filled with the spirit of God. A central foundational belief. What makes us Christians? I'm a Christian because I know Jesus. He showed up in my life, like for real. And I ain't just talking about like out there somewhere. He showed up in my life. I was a broken man. And he showed up in my life in ways that I could never explain. And one of the central foundational beliefs we don't even pay attention to. John 1, 14. John 1, 14. This is who we are, church. This is who we are. Here we go. John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this idea about Yahweh God being the creator who we can't see actually became a person that we could see in the baby named Jesus. God is integrated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
God is consistent and complete. God is whole. God is integrated in who he says he is and what he does. And God is calling a people to integrate that same faith, that same practice in our local communities and beyond. Brothers and sisters who have a heart for the mission field, what happens when God's calling you here to Marion for the next four years, three years? What, actually, what does it mean for you to actually learn mission here in this community from the people in this community? You go way over there, you gotta learn how to do it there unless you're going in with the colonized mind that you're gonna go in and fix somebody else's problems. Again, when I read this text, I'm seeing this through the lens of a victim. He starts out with a man. He didn't start out with the priest and the Levite. He didn't even start out with Samaritan. He started out with us understanding this through the lens of a victim. And part of our problem because of our ideologies have told us something. We can't even listen to victims without making them believe that there's something wrong with them. They're broken. They're dysfunctional. How about we all belong to a dysfunctional system together and it impacts communities, neighborhoods, states, countries, continents, and the world. How about we understand this together? So what happens? So what's the answer? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when we saw him, he was moved with pity. They walked past him, looked the other way. The Samaritan said, let me come and see about what's happening here. This is more like the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. When people were suffering, God would have these times where he'd say, let me come see about this. And he entered into the pain and suffering of people. The Samaritan gets this. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to reason or explain this away. His faith was integrated into his practice. Came near him, saw him, and moved with pity. The first thing that we have to do is we need to be in proximity to others. Closeness, part of what bypasses and suburbs and all of these other things that we have done geographically in our communities that actually have pulled us further apart, that are really influenced by demonic ideologies. We need to reintegrate the faith of what it means to love God and love neighbor in proximity. It's sad when you have extreme poverty and you have extreme wealth in the same community and we don't understand the intersection. Proximity. Brothers and sisters, how can you get close to someone in society that you have most of your life, if not all of your life, had a false ideology about? Second thing here, he went to him, bandaged him, his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, then he put him on his own animal. It's going to take sacrifice and work. There is nothing comfortable about this. There is nothing comfortable about Jesus 
coming and enduring the brokenness and the pain and the sin of the world for 33 years and saying, I'm going to do something about this and then I'm going to call a people to do something about this. If Jesus did it, we do it. We have to be willing to sacrifice for one another. Black, white, brown, rich, poor, middle class, male, female. What should it look like for males to use your voice and to use your privilege in a society that oppresses women and say, no more? What's it look like for white males to say, I'm going to leverage my power and privilege in society to uplift my brothers and sisters of color? What's it look like for the wealthy to say, I'm going to use my power and privilege in society to uplift the poor? Now we're talking about loving our neighbor as ourself. Do we desire the same thing for others that we desire for ourselves? At the end of this, the key to all of this is not going and doing more serving. The key to this is having mercy upon our strangers. The end of this, it says, he said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said, go and do likewise. 12 times Jesus says, go. Luke acts, go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to pray with me and mean it. Father, we just thank you and we love you, God. And we come before you right now as people who are broken people who have not loved our neighbors well, people who have done injustice and have left injustice undone. We come before you right now, Lord, saying that we don't want to be double-minded people who are unstable in all of their ways, but we desire to be people who are integrated and who bear witness to the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us today and the rest of our lives that helps us to move the needle a little bit so that we might be faithful witnesses in our community and world to the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.